Sefer Yoshua Perekhes, the book of Joshua, the eighth Perek in our series Nachyomi, one Perek a day, Rabbi Bini Marilis. Perekhes is the completion of the story of Milchemes Ai, the war over the city of Ai. We mentioned in Zion that Ai is like a one-horse town. We'll find out that it's approximately 12,000 people. It's not a large city. It's not a massive metropolis back in the day, but rather a small town, which only by virtue of the flaw and the aver and the transgression amongst the Jewish people, did in fact they lose, as it were, in the first battle for Ai. But Perkhes completes the story with the destruction of the city of Ai. And the manner in which they do it is very different than Yericho. Yericho is this majestic, miraculous event. And I shows us the great military strategy, the great military thinking of one Yehoshua as it relates to war. Where he gets this from, he seems to be rather a seasoned veteran of war military action over the course of the many years in the Midbar as well now at this point. He's fought in many battles. And based on the advice, quote-unquote, of God as to how to go about the war, Yoshua then puts into action quite an amazing strategy of military to defeat and destroy the city of Ai. Why are they so drastically different, Ai and Yericho? It would seem that as much as there's a notion of the miraculous at play with respect to God being interwoven into the war and being Bekirbechem in the hearts of the Jewish people and fighting for them. Nonetheless, there has to be a notion for the other nations that the Jewish people can fight, are able to fight, and they know how to fight. They will fight. And at the same time that that's going on, that they're going to fight, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Hashkacha of God, the providence of God above them and for them, uh, will will them and bring them to victory. So it sort of shows two sides. The great miracle that was Yericho, the great majesty, the great spirituality, the holiness of that event. And at the same time here, I, great military prowess and power, and great skill at fighting. God speaks to Yoshua and he says, don't be afraid. What does Yoshua have to be afraid of? So Yoshua is essentially afraid of the fact that they lost already. The Mitzudah David says, Because they've already lost in this place, they've already lost people in this place, there's a little bit afraid to uh, approach it again. Therefore God says to Yoshua, don't be afraid. But he also tells him, not only don't be afraid, a couple of other things are very important here when the matter you're going to fight. One, everybody has to go. Kodesh Baruch doesn't care how small, you, how, how small I is. Everybody goes to war here. You too, Yoshua, you too have to go. We made mention in the previous chapter that there was a possibility that the first approach at Ai, that Yehoshua did not attend to the war. Here, Kodesh Baruch says to him, no, 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 no. You have to go. 
the tzivoy, the mitzvah of capturing the land, of taking the land, of defeating the enemies, the mitzvah is on you and on them as a nation. And I promised it based on the notion that you will lead them, and your leadership is fundamentally based on your presence at war. Of course, beyond the other notions of military and confidence and the belief of the troops by seeing their great leaders out front, there's a notion that a Kaddish Baruch Hu had a desire that this be the case. This is the way they're going to fight. You will do to I and to its king exactly what you did to Yericho and its king. However, one difference. Except here, the major difference is that in this case, in the city of Ai, you will be allowed to partake of the spoils of war. And that goes uh, one of two ways. One could be that simply at Yericho, where God commanded Yehoshua not to, and therefore Yehoshua did so, and the people stumbled, and by the people stumbling, they realized they can't stand up to such a, such a requirement, such a request of them, so Kaddish Baruch relents. Or the reverse, which we mentioned previously, was that it was Yehoshua's command not to take from the spoils of war at Yericho, and even though maybe perhaps a Kaddish Baruch Hu agreed and acquiesced to that notion, here God says to them, don't say that to the people. Don't give them that here. Allow them to enjoy the benefits of the spoils of war. Let them partake. It's too difficult for them to overcome that Yetzer. Allow them to partake. Allow them to feel a sense of accomplishment, a sense of victory by taking the spoils of war. And then God's advice to Yoshua, the manner of war here, the military advice, an ambush, a surprise attack. It does not go on to say here that God spells out exactly how to do that. One could speculate that that's the case. Um, at the same time, allowing for Yoshua, possibly in another approach, to take the idea of an ambush and then to figure out on the ground how to go about doing that on his own. Either way, the notion that God is fighting for them and that God is their quote-unquote secretary of war, giving them military advice, is comforting and certainly helpful as they go forward. So now Yehoshua sets to plan the ambush of the city of Ai and how this is going to work. There's going to be the basic approach that we'll deal with, which is apparent from the text, and then we'll offer a slightly different approach that appears, again, as always, in the Malbim, Meir Leibish ben Yechiel Mechel, the great Malbim in his commentaries here as well. Yoshua gets up, and all of the warring nation go up to the city of Ai. A lot of people, a large number of people go. Exactly how many? Not exactly clear in terms of a number. Is it the entire population, the entire people? Doesn't seem so. But from that group, <clears throat> he chooses 30,000, 30,000 men, strong, armed, and he sends them out at night. What does he command them? He says to them as follows, See and know that your job and your purpose in this battle is an ambush with respect to our timing in battle. You will rest and stay lying in wait 
at a distance from the city, from behind the city. Don't distance yourself too far from the city, and everybody should be prepared. Nechonim is the notion of being ready for the moment of attack, to be on alert, the moment we need you to be ready to go. 30,000 men lying in wait in ambush at some distance, not too far a distance, behind the city. Now, where behind the city is, that's a good question, and that's a lot of where the Malbum will come in to play with respect to understanding the nature of where all the parties um, exist in this battle. Yeshua continues, And I, and the remainder of the nation that's with me, we will draw close to the city. And it'll be that when we get close to the city, they will come after us like the first time, and we will run away from them. It's almost like a feint. It's a fake. Right? Yoshua's drawing close. They're going to see them coming close. They're going to come after them. Yoshua and his people are going to turn and run like they're afraid, and they're going to run after. The Yatsu Acharenu in Pasuk Vav in verse 6, Ad Hatikenu Osamina Ir. And they will follow us out. They will come out after us until we have drawn them out, taken them completely out of the city. Why? Ki yomru, for they will say, Nosim lifanenu. They're running away from us. They're running away from us like they did the first time. The Jews, those uh, B'nai Yisrael, they're such wimps. They're so afraid of us. They can't handle this. They're weaklings. They're running away from us again. The Atem, now Yoshua gets the heart of it. Atem. Takumu meha orev, vehorashtem esoir, And then you will come out of wait, out of the ambush, and you will take the city, because God has given it into your hands. And what will you do? In verse 8, in Pasukhes, vayakitaf sechem esoir, when you take the city, when you capture the city, Burn it. Burn the city down. For this is what I have commanded. Do exactly what I say. This is what God has commanded me. This is what I am commanding you based on the word of God. In verse 9 in Pasuk Test, Yeshua sends them out, again at night, of course. They go to the place of the ambush. And where is that? And it sounds like they're sitting between Beitel and Ai, and that would be to the Yam of Ai. To the Yam of Ai means to the west of the city of Ai. So if you're looking at the map, you'll have going right to left, or east to west, you'll have Yardin, Gilgal, Yericho, Ai, Beit El. And somewhere in there, which is now Ha'ir, somewhere behind the city, between the two cities, Beit El and Ai, is where it seems like this group is resting. The implication being that Yehoshua is somewhere to the west of Ai. This group is now all the way on the eastern side of Ai. And they're going to come around the city when Yoshua draws them out. And Yoshua rests that night in the nation. Rashi writes, 
to be ready and prepared for the next day. The Radak adds a very interesting, very important detail, which we'll see again in a later Pasuk, where it says that Yoshua again rests in the camp. The Radak writes here, Where is he? In the middle of the camp, Yoshua rested that night. To encourage them, to, to excite them, to create confidence in them, to motivate them. Yoshua rests amongst them. He's with his people, he's with his soldiers, he's with his warring nation. So to be ready for the following day. And now again, Vayashkem Yoshua Baboker. Yoshua rises early in the morning once again. Again, if we want to keep the subtle point at play here, arising early in the morning from the practical sense is very obvious. He's going to war, he's going to battle. From the sense that he, you know, the religious sense that he's fulfilling a mitzvah of Kibush Haaretz, so Vayashkem is a sense of zrizus, is a sense of excitement, of, a, of, an, of an interest and a want and a desire to fulfill the mitzvah of kibush ha'aretz, of, of capturing the land, of fulfilling the notion of the inheritance of the land of Israel. Vayivkod etza'am. Vayivkod can be viewed as counting the nation. I think more correctly is that he's making sure that they're, that they're prepared, that they're, that they're ready to go to war, that, uh, that the people, the army, the soldiers are in position and ready to fight. Vayalhu zikne Yisrael lifnei ha'am ha'ai. Yehoshua and the zikhenim go before this part of the nation up to the city of Ai. Very important. To see that the leaders are with them. The leaders are out front. The leaders are fighting in the wars. Very significant factor. They can be confident. They can be comforted with the notion they're going to war and their leaders are out there fighting the battle with them. Pasuk Aleph, verse 11, V'chol ha'ama milchama asherito'u, they come against the city, opposite the city, where? And they rest and they encamp to the north of Ai, and then there's a valley between the two. So now we have to get the picture straight. Initially we thought that Yoshua was somewhere in the east, then you have the city of Ai, and now the Orev the ambush is lying in wait behind the city somewhere to the east. But now if Yoshua is to the north of the city, and I is directly below him to the south, where exactly is the ambush lying in wait? It would seem that Yoshua would rest opposite the entrance to the city. That makes the most sense, to face the city face up, which we'll see in the coming verses, that he comes directly up to the entrance of the city. So the entrance to the city of Ai is in the north. Yoshua is now in the north. Where is the ambush of 30,000 men lying? Where are they waiting? Where are they resting? Remember also, to the, to the east, Yericho is already in the hands of the Jews. So there seems to be maybe perhaps the rest of the nation resting there in Yericho and Gilgal. And that the warring group is out in this location further to the east, further to the west, near Ai. So we have to keep that in mind. But before the war actually begins, Vayikach in Yudbeis, Vayikach kachameshus alafim ish, Yoshua takes five thousand more people, Vayasim osam orev ben beis elovena aimi yam laai. He takes five thousand more people, and he puts those five thousand people of the remaining group that he has between Beit El and Ai to the Yam. So it would seem now from the basic understanding of the text, 
that he has 35,000 people lying in wait somewhere between I and Beit El. It would seem odd that you would have two groups in ambush lying in wait. Why not have one smaller one or have one in general? What's the purpose of two? It gets a little bit confusing, but it seems that he has 35,000 people lying in wait. It seems that they're all in similar locations. The commentaries say no. They're not exactly in the same location. Rashi writes, Orev achar orev. It's one ambush after another. One is closer to the city than the other. Now, what's the purpose in that? It would seem that having a, uh, a foot soldiers, a the first uh, the first group, right? The first group of soldiers that go out. The military term is lost to me at the moment. But the first group of soldiers that are immediately ready is a smaller troop that can get to the city faster, and then the others would come in following afterwards. That seems to me the way that Rashi, many of the other commentaries are understanding. We'll get to the album in a moment. So Yeshua puts the entirety of the remainder of his camp to the north of the city, and Akevo, the heel, is towards the uh, Yamla'ir. Yamla'ir again, meaning towards the east, sorry, towards the west, towards the west, towards the Yam, the Yam being the Yamatichon, the Mediterranean. And Yeshua, Vayelech Yeshua, Balelahu Besocha Imek. Yeshua goes down into the valley. Rashi says what that means. Quoting the Gemara from Erevin, Shilan that he sat and he learned the halachas, the Hilchas Melchama, how to fight war, how to battle. The other commentaries go back to what they had said before, that uh, he wanted to make sure that the camp was ready, that the people were ready, and that they were prepared emotionally, mentally, psychologically to go to battle. And Yoshua seems to make the first move. But so Haimek, remember what we said, is that he's sitting in his camp to the north of the city. The city's there, and there's a valley between them. Yoshua, during the night, goes into the valley. He goes into that valley. And now Yudalid, Vayihi Kir Os when the king of Ai sees this, in verse 14, Immediately they break out. They run out and they run and they get early right there. They're trying to be first there to the spot. They leave the city to go face the Jewish people. They go out at a certain time. What time is that? The certain time of war. One can say, Rashi writes, They're looking into the stars and into the different astrologies and so on and so forth. And they picked, they found that the exact moment when they should fight the war, that's the Mo'ed. And he has no idea that there's an ambush lying in wait. In the modern warfare, uh, this type of ambush probably doesn't work because of night vision goggles. Back in the day, they didn't have that type of scoping ability. And if that being the case, so then Yoshua is not concerned that his O'Rave, but that his that his ambush would be found. At the same time, Yoshua was very careful. Remember, he sleeps two nights in the area just north of Ai, so that he had sent out his first troop in ambush two days in advance of any war. They wouldn't be noticed. They wouldn't be seen. If they were seen at all, they would just see being a group of people that were moving around, not to necessarily view them as an ambush. So they go out, they have no idea. 15. 
and Yahushua and his group appear to be injured. They fake injury. And they start to run. They start in the run the, 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 the direction of the Midbar. The Midbar, it would seem, would be in the direction of Yericho. Due east. And the entire nation of Ai is excited. They're ready for war. They scream out and they go and they, they pursue after the Jewish people, after Yeshua. And they're so caught up in the notion of destroying the Jewish people, in destroying Yeshua, in winning again, that they leave the city unprotected. It tells us in verse 17 in Yud Zion, not a man was left in the cities of Ai and Beis El that did not run after the Jewish people. And they leave the city open and they run after the Jewish people. They pursue the Jewish people unprotected. The detail that Beit El, the people of Beit El, I mentioned here. The Malbim picks up on, and we'll get to the Malbim in a moment. Most of the commentaries simply say that the people of Beit El came to Ai, because they were so excited about the first victory, came to Ai to take an opportunity to join in in a victory over the Jewish people. The Malbim has a different approach. Yudchas, Vayomer Adonai Yehoshua, Nitebakidon Asher Ai, God speaks to Yehoshua in the midst of this. And he says, raise up the spear that's in your hand. El Ha'ai, towards the city of Ai, ki et nena, because it's given into your hands, I'm going to give it to you. Vayet Yoshua ba'kidona shebiyado el ha'ir. And Yoshua turns and he points out his spear in the direction, in the direction of the city of Ai. The city is going to be given to him. It should be reminiscent to us of Moshe sitting on the mountain during the battle of Amalek, raising his hands in the air. Veha'orev kam meherami mekomo. The ambush rises quickly from its place. They see the hand go up. They see the spear raised in the air. And they come to the city and they rout the city. And immediately they set the city aflame. They light the city on fire. And the people of Ai turn around. The, the smoke rising up to the skies. They did not have the strength any longer to run in either direction. They were defeated. They had been rused. They had been tricked. And the nation that was running, the Jewish people that were running into the deserts, turn on their enemy. They return and they begin to kill and destroy the men of Ai. And those that were in the city who had set the city aflame now are coming out of the city to meet the Jewish people, to meet them as they're fighting them. In Chavbez, it tells us that the Jewish people now have surrounded the people of Ai, and they're in the middle. The people of Ai are in the middle, and they destroy them without leaving anybody left. That's Melech Ai Tasuchai in Chavgimel, the leader of Ai, the king of Ai, they caught him alive. 
they bring him close to Yeshua, ultimately they will hang him in a moment. In Chavdala, they leave nobody left. All the men, the women, the children, the, everything is destroyed. All the people of Ai, 12,000 people. Before we finish out this part of the story and add in the remaining sections of the, of the parak, just to give you the way the Malbim handles the story, the Malbim has it slightly different. The Malbim says that what the Jewish people set up is essentially a reverse race on the city of Ai. What that means is that if Yoshua is to the north of the city and he now sets up his group to be behind the city, then essentially the first group of 30,000 is resting in the south or maybe further, a little bit further to the southwest of the city. And then the second group of 5,000 that Yahushua sends out, he sends them out as a bit of a flank, a little bit to the, to the west, parallel to Yahushua, and as well parallel to the other group that's 30,000 in the south. And essentially, if you draw the dotted line from Yehoshua to the 5,000, it's a straight line directly across, a horizontal, and then from the 5,000 to the 30,000 would be a direct vertical line behind the city. And now what Yehoshua has set up is a situation where the entire people of Ai are surrounded and they have no idea. Again, you have the Jewish people sitting by Yericho and Gilgal to the east. You have Yehoshua to the entrance of the eye in the north, you have a group of 5,000 slightly to the west, and a group of 30,000 to the south that's hidden. So that when Yoshua is goes to battle, and he draws them into the battle, and he runs due east into the, into the desert arena, you have the 30,000 that come up from the south, you have the 5,000 that come from the northwest, and now the people of Ai are completely surrounded and they're destroyed. Verse 26. Yoshua did not bring down his hand from the uh, from holding up the spear until the war was over. Again, reminiscent of Moshe Rabbeinu sitting on the mountain in the war of Amalek. That only the animals and the the riches of the city were allowed for the Jewish people to take, just like God had commanded the Jewish people. He had commanded Yoshua. Kafchas. Yeshua destroys the city. He burns the city down. It remains as a heap until this destroyed, destructed heap until this day. Ad Eis Ha'arev is an interesting point. They hung the king of Ai, but they didn't hang him and embarrass him. Yes, they hung him and they killed him. They didn't leave him there to be eaten by the buzzards and the birds, but rather they took him down at the night, similar to the halacha with respect to someone who is a haruge based in, someone who was killed by based in, who was killed Api Halacha and is hung, hanged. So we don't leave the Nevela lying around. They bury it. They bring it down. So they did the same thing here with the king of Ai. He wasn't Jewish. He was in fact attacking them. 
They play. They put it down at the entrance to his city or former city. And they establish upon him almost like a headstone, a grave of stones until this day. Thus ends the story of the war of Ai. Comes here now, and at the end of this parak sticks in a Misa that is a subject of an interesting machlokas uh, and, dis- and disagreement between the different commentaries. Most of the commentaries will view the next few psukim as if they took place, and when they take place, at a time before the Battle of Yericho and the Battle of Ai, and then have to answer the question as to why it's placed here. Versus the Mabum who says, no, in fact, this event actually takes place here and now. All would agree that this is in some way related to the events that are dealt with and discussed in the Torah, in the Sefer Devarim. That discussion there in the 11th Perek, in the 11th chapter of Sefer Devarim, that when you come to the land, that you should put the bracha on the, on the mountain of Grizim and the klala and the curses at Harival. And this whole incredible event that's to be uh, played and displayed out at that location. And it seems that this is, in fact, that event. It would seem, though, it should have happened already. So why is it here, is one question. And is that is this, in fact, that event that's described there, or is this something else? So the Bible says there are two different events. That, in fact, the Jewish people, in fact, did exactly what the Torah describes. They did that at, Gil, at Gilgal with the Hakamas HaAvanim. They established the stones. That was what had to happen immediately. And this happens here later on. The others simply say, no, this event that's being described, beginning with verse 30, Pasuk Lamed, in fact, happened already, but it's placed here. So let's see what the event is, and then we'll discuss exactly its placement here. And then Yoshua built a Mizbeach place for sacrifices on Hariva. Just like it says in the Torah, exactly the way Moshe commanded it, so he did. An altar of stones, full hewn stones that never were touched by any sort of barzel, any sort of metal. And the offer... Uh, gifts and offerings to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, to God on that place. They also bring Shlamim. Shlamim are very joyous korban to be eaten by the people. They write on the stones, Es Mishnas, Es Mishnei Toras Moshe, Asher Kosav Lifnei Bnei Yisrael. They write on those stones the Torah. What exactly is written? So it would seem, according to most of the commentaries, and most understand, that they write the mitzvahs, they list all the mitzvahs, ases and lotas says, on the stones. In the pomp and circumstance of the event, each tri- sets of six tribes are one on, are on Har Grizim, and the other six are on Har Eval. The Aron is in the middle between the mountains. The Kohanim Alavim, those that are carrying it, they're in the middle as well. And 
they do the blessings and the curses just like just like it's commanded in the Torah. They read the entirety of the Torah. Yoshua, according to the commentaries, reads the Torah for the people. Yoshua reads the entirety of the Torah to them in their in their presence in that moment at that event. If in fact this happened already, why is it here? And if it's happening now, what in fact is it? So the Malmum says it's two different events. That they can happen whenever they're supposed to happen. And that really what they had to do first was simply do hakamas hamatseva of some variety, establishment of the avanim and the stones, which they did. And what's happening now is the fulfillment of the other piece that's in the Torah, but it didn't have to be immediate. The other commentaries simply state, no, this already happened. So if it already happened, what's it doing here? Let me share with you quickly, beautifully, the Das Sofrim. He says as follows. There's a specific, very important reason. Other than the practical, which may be that Yoshua didn't want to interrupt these stories, there's another very important reason. The Jewish people have just destroyed two very large cities and all of their people, and they're about to do more as they go forward. Here is the right place to establish and discuss the establishment of the altar on Harival, from stones that never had on them and never laid upon them any sort of metal. Because it's through the metals that life is taken and people are killed. This is to teach us, as we know, how abominable and how unspeakable it is the notion of killing in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the Jewish people. The Jewish people have to raise their hands and their spears against the nations. This is not out of a love of war and a love of blood and a love of death. Rather, this is because this is what's decreed upon them. Hashem. By God, by Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Shehemi Taruas Haaretz Hakadosha Me'anashel Haraim, that they are responsible and required to purify the holy and sanctified land from all of the bad and evil people that live upon it. Best Pukudaso Chayavim Hayu Lemalei, and His command they are obligated to fulfill. Meaning that the notion here of the destruction of, the, of these peoples is not what the it's not what we are. It's not who we are. It's not what we're about. We abhor killing, we abhor death in this manner. Nonetheless, this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants of us, and this is their obligation, this is the requirement. At the same time, one other explanation, very quickly, is the notion that if we're going to talk brachos and klalos, and this is, it seems in line with a, a statement in the Abarbanel, although you may not necessarily agree with it, if we're going to talk brachos and klalos, and fulfillments of brachos and klalos, blessings and curses, then perhaps it's appropriate to only talk about those things after those types of things occur. Yericho was miraculous bracha. I, first, the first battle at I, Klala, is based on Aveira. People were killed, people lost their lives. So it would seem then that now speaking about brachos and klalos fits very well. 
You have just seen it, Jewish people. Tribes of Israel, six on this side of the mountain, six on that side of the mountain. You have seen the good and the bad. You have seen the fulfillment based on bracha, and you have seen the fulfillment based on kala. It's a very practical sense, different than the da'at sofrim. In a very practical sense, it's the notion of really visualizing and seeing it, having experienced and understanding this is already what a Kodesh Baruch Hu spoke about in the Torah. Continue tomorrow with the ninth parak, parak Tess.